Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Natter Dabbit. Hello. Justin Bennett. Hey, everybody. Lukas Heisch. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this is episode 50. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. So uh, yeah, we've uh, recorded or will have recorded by the time this goes out, 50 episodes of React Roundup. Woo! Awesome. I know, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's it's funny. I've I've done a bunch of these, especially over the last couple of weeks. We we did Ruby Rogues 400, JavaScript Jabber 350, and then I think Views on View hit 50. Elixir Mix is coming up on fix 50. I think Adventures in Angular is just like months out from you know a milestone episode, I guess. But it's always fun to just stop and kind of go, okay, so let's talk about the show itself instead of you know, diving in on a React topic. And, and people like to know what we're doing and where we're at and all that kind of stuff. So I figure we can start there and just kind of let everybody talk briefly about where they're at these days as far as where you're working and what you're working on and things like that, if you have other projects that you're doing and, and just stuff like that. So Lucas, I'm going to make you go first. All right. Yeah, so currently I'm working as a senior front-end engineer here at ZocDoc uh, in New York. So I'm working on the, yeah, as soon as you hit www.zocdoc.com, that's the website I'm, I'm working on. So currently we are, uh, I'm, I'm working on initiatives that are like geared towards performance, SEO, like I said, is a big is a big part of our product here, and I'm uh, very like involved with making sure that I spread the front end knowledge through the company, right? So um, I help run a front end guild here in the company. So like every two weeks, we have one hour of presentation of people like talking about front end solutions to problem they had or front end uh, technology ideas for future problems or knowledge sharing and I'm all I always try to like be as advanced or and basic as I can like from so I'm starting uh on next week uh, like a basic CSS uh like every the last 10 minutes of every front end guild meeting will like be a basic CSS meeting because yeah that's the kind of thing that we never stop to to really study so I'm excited for that to, to share this knowledge and that's it I'm always reading, always studying, always make sure that everybody around me that asks questions, like, learn something. That's what I've been doing. Nice. Justin, how about you? 
Sure. So um, I'm a senior engineer at Artsy, um, and I really jump around. Um, so my specialty is kind of uh, front end, but I um, like this quarter I'm on our platform team. Um, so I kind of do a little bit of everything. My kind of favorite things to focus on are performance. I really like web performance in general, which is kind of one of the things that motivated me to get more into front end. So Artsy has a lot of uh, React stuff going on. We do everything open source by default. So like pretty much all of our code, if you go to github.com slash Artsy is, is there. So you can see Reaction, our big React component library, palette or design system. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff in there. We try to, you know, learn in the open. So we have an engineering blog. Uh, the culture is really interesting. Kind of one of the big things that drew me to the company. So yeah, uh, other than that, um, I like poking around on open source stuff a lot. I'm really interested in release processes and CI and stuff like that. I know that's like a weird like nuance thing, but um, I've done a lot of work lately with like making some really interesting circle CI configs and putting together a pull request process uh, to or an automatic release process for GitHub when you merge a pull request and like stuff like that. So that kind of stuff that like I find pretty fun. But yeah, awesome. You find it pretty fun to do CI stuff? That's that's <laughs> worth your weight in gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so when I started at Artsy, like we have a, like a JavaScript library build, so it's just like just preparing like our React apps, and it was like six minutes. And I'm like, why is this six minutes? And I spent a few days and like got it down to like fifty seconds, and that's like the most rewarding feeling. Yeah, oh, that's fun. That's nice. nice. Natter, what are you up to? So it's it's been about one year that I've been with AWS as a developer advocate now. So I started in January and now it's uh, the beginning of February. So I'm still doing that, working a lot more these days with GraphQL, doing still a lot of stuff with uh, React and React Native. And then now I'm getting into Vue a little bit. I'll be at uh, Vue Amsterdam actually next week, speaking for the first time at one of those events. And um Doing just generally um, a little bit of community stuff these days. So um, I have the Open GraphQL newsletter now that we just launched. We have the Open GraphQL blog that's kind of on Medium that um, basically tries to get as many people from the GraphQL community contributing and kind of like exposed as possible, kind of giving everyone a platform to kind of talk about the stuff that they've been working on. And um, that, that's about it. This year is looking to be a pretty busy year for me so far. And uh, if you've been listening, you might notice I show up to about half of the recordings. And that's usually because I'm traveling somewhere because I'm on the road about half the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've been uh, trying to figure out what conferences I want to go to. And it's funny because my calendar keeps getting more and more stuff on it. So, Are you booked up for the first half of the year already like me? Um, Not not entirely, but I think I have two conferences I'm going to in March, at least one in April. I've got two conferences that are at the same time in May that I'm trying to figure out. Looks like I'm going to go to the one that's local. That's ng-conf, so it's not like it's, oh, it's the tiny conference. No, it's the big Angular conference. But the other one is RailsConf. But yeah, it's just kind of been nuts figuring that out. And my wife has a conference that she wants to go to at the same time. So... <laughs> so that's been, nice but yeah. yeah it's kind of hard to prioritize there's so many good events there's so many yeah. events actually like it seems like over the last couple of years there's been an explosion in the number of meetups conferences 
just oh, yeah. everything, just just things going on. It seems like people are really, really getting into the community stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that some of the events that I'm looking at are not programmer events. They're how to run a small business events or how to do social media events, you know, because I'm running the podcasts. So I guess giving my update, it's kind of going to be a little bit of a blend, I guess, of personal business and programming. But uh, yeah, most of my time I spend uh, chasing stuff down for the podcast. So, you know, I'll either be talking to sponsors or, um, you know, working with Michelle to make sure that guests are getting lined up or training people. Lately, I've been hiring people to write show notes. So, I mean, it's just it's just been in this really kind of blend of everything. And then around Thanksgiving, I started having some health problems. And yeah, they went away and they came back. And, you know, now I'm dealing with kind of the getting back to normal effects of some of that stuff. So that's that's also been going on. And then I also started a new show called The DevRev um, back in November. And yeah, I, so I took about a month off of that, just Christmas, New Year's, and then, you know, the not feeling good kind of stuff. But I'm back on that and, you know, excited about that stuff and just been working to figure out, okay, how do I help people make the most out of their life, their career, and everything else that they're doing, you know, from the standpoint of, hey, we talk about code. So, yeah, it's been kind of crazy. One other thing that's kind of been clarified for me over the last little bit has just been the mission of devchat.tv. And this is something that uh, when we did episode 400 of Ruby Rogues, um, Eric asked me about this. And he, you know, I I basically boiled it down. And I've, I've kind of said it already, but I really am interested in helping people find the freedom and fulfillment that they crave from coding. So that could be a career, that could be open source, it could be stuff in your spare time, it could be whatever, right? So some people, they just want to go to work, get off work, go surfing or skiing or whatever. And other people, you know, they really want to be part of the community. And so I want to enable all of those different lifestyles, right? So how do you get good enough to have the lifestyle where you can just go surfing in the evening? Or how do you have, how do you get good enough to feel like you can contribute to open source? Or how do I encourage you to contribute open source, even though you don't feel ready? You know, it may be a little of both of those. So, you know, just things like that, that, that I'm really looking at and talking about. So we're working on getting guests that kind of fit that. We're probably going to have few more soft skills type episodes on some of the shows. But yeah, that's, that's kind of been the focus here. And I'm, I'm kind of figuring out what that all means as far as how we do things here. And then I've just been working on the business stuff. So it's training people and making sure people know how to do all the things that they need to do. So the shows go out on time and stuff like that. And that's been an interesting challenge over the last little while. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. And then, yeah, I've been looking at conferences too, because conferences for me are a terrific way to reach out to people in the community and hear what people are talking about. It's also like the conference talks are usually on topics that are you know, kind of top of mind for the communities. And so that helps me kind of get an idea of what we should be talking about on the show. Now I I deviate from that fairly frequently, but you know, hitting those is also important. And then a lot of folks that are willing to sponsor conferences are also willing to sponsor podcasts. And so uh, usually I can talk to some people that will help us keep the lights on and the doors open so that you all can keep listening to us. So yeah, just stuff like that. A lot of stuff like that. So yeah, I've like been wanting to go to some of those podcasting events and, and things that are not programmer um, specific, I guess you'd say, but it's mm-hmm. just been so hard for me to find time in my schedule. But that, the one that I'd like to go to is that one in Vegas. Isn't there like a big podcast event there every year? There used to be. 
they used to do Blog World, and then they started a new one called New Media Expo, and then Blog World bought New Media Expo. <laughs> this is more story than you want. The, the The short answer is not anymore. The long answer is, yeah, essentially. So they did Blog World New Media Expo for a couple of years. And honestly, the event was pretty good, but it was mostly focused around blogging. And then they had the podcasting tracks. So they usually had like three tracks for podcasting. And then the people who bought it, the Blog World people decided that they wanted to team up with the National, National Association of Broadcasters which is more radio folks. And that pretty much killed the New Media Expo. Hmm. So, so where do people go these days? So this year, I've gone every year but one to Podcast Movement. And that's that's a terrific conference. If you're looking to uh, go to a podcasting conference, that's a really, really good one. This year, I'm also going to PodFest, and that one's in Orlando. I've never been to that one before, so I can't say one way or the other, but I have had a lot of people tell me that it's terrific. Anyway, those are the ones that I'm going to. I'm also talking to a few people. Maybe I shouldn't say this on the show since I have absolutely no plans whatsoever and nothing concrete to share. But the the issues that I've had with podcast movement, podcast movement moves around, but PodFest is in Orlando every year. So podcast movement has typically done like, yeah, last year they were in Philadelphia. This, this year they're in Boston. The year before that, they were in Anaheim, California. And so they've kind of moved it back and forth. The first two years they were in Texas. But it seems like they are leaning a little bit more East Coast, which is totally fine, but I don't live East Coast, right? I live in the West. And so I've been talking to a few people about starting a West Western U.S. podcast conference. And there are a bunch of other smaller conferences around, so you can definitely hit those as well. But uh, yeah, I, I've been thinking about doing that. I don't know if I'd want to do it in Salt Lake or in Las Vegas or if I'd want to find something in California or something. I can only imagine it gets more expensive if you go to California, but there, there's a ton of conference space in Las Vegas, so you may be able to bid one against the other, ends, which yeah, especially since I'm totally willing to say, no, I'll just do it in Salt Lake. It's easier. So Right. That'll be cool. But yeah, so that's that's one thing that I'm looking at. I've also thought about pulling together my own programming event that is really just kind of a giant, I don't want to say career workshop, but that's kind of what I'm looking at. And, and so it'll, it would almost be a soft skills conference. I mean, I would bring in hard tech people, right? So we, you know, we might have a React track and a Vue track and a JavaScript track and a Ruby track and a, you know, whatever, depending on how big it is. But I really want to have the conference that's basically, hey, look, you know, come in, and learn how to make your team better. Come in and learn how to make your situation better. Come come in and learn how to, I mean, for new people, you know, we'd have workshops for how to put your resume together and, you know, how to get into open source so you can build your resume and stuff like that. And then the, for the more advanced people, if they need any of those, they can hit them. And if not, then it's, hey, look, you know, let's learn, not like the the deep esoteric stuff that you're probably, you know, you could use in a React app, but let's kind of get you the next level React stuff, right? So, you know, we might have a basics workshop for React, but then we'd also have like an intermediate, you know, where it's like, look, here's all the easy basic stuff that the beginners have to know. And then here are the challenges you're going to run into at the next level and kind of help people level up that way so that they're more competitive in their careers and they can contribute more at work and they can contribute more to open source and things like that. 
I'm still formulating what that is, but yeah, I've been looking at something like that too. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I think a lot about those like soft versus hard skills. One thing I think about is, is this, is this the correct like a terminology we should be using? It's so weird, like hard and soft in this well, context, right? I, think I, I that, preach this all the time, and it's interesting that, uh, or I preach this principle all the time, and I'm going to put it this way. So I have a brother, I have a cousin, I have a bunch of uh, friends that are in computer science programs in college mm-hmm. right now, and I've had pretty much every one of them come to me and say, you've been in programming for a long time, you talk to a lot of programmers, what is the skill that we need to have in order to be competitive? And I look at them and I go, yeah, they're not teaching you those as communication skills. That's it. That's it. And yeah. it's, it's super funny because like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you could get away with not having as many of those skills. Now, if you wanted to go work for a bigger company like Microsoft or things like that, they were building complicated enough software to where you still had to have those skills. You had to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. But anymore, we don't build software without collaborating with other programmers. It just doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Yeah. And it's interesting because... Uh, well, one thing I, I don't I don't know if I like this like hard and soft thing because first of all it seems that to create a separation like mm-hmm. anytime like something gets advanced enough it goes into like the soft skills territory yeah like when people were when I'm like code reviewing here like you could imagine the code reviewing a PR of a bug fix is something that would be like hard skills but what kind I'm talking uh, yeah like it's it, it's it's like uh, not at all, right? And even like the code, like the, the the way the code should be structured in the end is like you need to communicate to other people with this code. Mm-hmm. People sh- people should understand what's happening here because it is like a hard problem that in the future there will be like other bugs and we need to understand what's happening in order to solve. So it's really interesting how sometimes I think that this like hard and soft the differentiation. I completely agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's like all part of the same. Whenever we watch those those those, those movies with like the elderly and the wisdom of the master, and they say like it's all the same thing, right? And you're like, oh, this is like movie stuff, but it's actually it's all the same True. thing. Yeah, we did an episode of JavaScript Jabber yesterday, and uh, we're about as far ahead on that show as this show, so it'll probably come out within a week or two of this episode, but. Um, we were talking to Anatoly, and I'm going to totally butcher the poor guy's name, uh, Zaslavsky. <laughs> and it was really funny because we're, we're in there and we're talking about it. And we start out talking about a testing tool, right? Which is very hard skill end. Mm-hmm. And we start talking about, okay, but this is how you use the tool. And the tool is based on Cucumber, which was written in Ruby. Um, but it's a JavaScript school. It's Pickle.js. Mm-hmm. And we must have talked our way around this like three times where it was, this is, this is a testing tool, you know, which is hard tech. And then, but this is how we're using it. So it gets a little softer tech, right? Cause we're, now we're talking about how to use the tool and this is how it communicates to other people. And this is how it helps people stay in the system or, or you know, help, helps us retain people. But this is also how it helps make the code better, which is hard tech again. And so, yeah, we just followed that circle like four times. Yeah, and the reality is, is it's all connected and it's all important. And there isn't a clear distinction between hard skills and soft skills. I mean, you, there are things on both ends of the spectrum, but if you're failing on one end of the spectrum, you're going to lose programmers because they won't be happy. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, we write software the way that we write it to be read by other humans. So, you know, just the whole process of even creating software is a communication process in and of itself. It's like, you know, the whole kind of this whole really hard debate on like, do you just rely on readable code or do you like add a lot of comments or like what does balance is like that is a communication issue that we're yep. dealing with is how do we build these solutions for our business in a way that is understandable, that communicates context, that communicates mm -hmm. importance and, and all that stuff. And so th therein really lies the ultimate challenge is I would say very little of our jobs are actually solving really hard, complex, like software problems. And most of it is a understanding the tools that are available to ourselves. So like, you know, stitching pieces of different things together. That's a really hard thing. And B is just like communicating about solutions because any software project ultimately yeah. just builds on itself. There is one, one uh, concrete example here at ZocDoc that we have. And this is an interesting one. Uh, we have our search page, right? When you're searching for a doctor, you're searching for like a dermatologist, something like that, right? Our search page has like the different uh, items when you, when you search for it. And the name of the component was like doctor card or something like that, right? So that's a doctor card. So we always like had issues with our code. So people were asking for stuff. There's like you have the times grid where you can choose the, the times in the doctor card and stuff like that. And people were like asking like, why are we seeing like more than one like the same doctor in different results, problems were like popping out from time to time. And then when I when I uh, stopped, there was one moment where I stopped to really look at that part of the code and I was like, this is not a doctor card. This is like a doctor location card. This card is like a combination of like one doctor and one location. A doctor may work on, on multiple locations, right? So that's that's why you may see like the same doctor multiple times in the in the results. And it was funny like how renaming a component from doctor card to like doctor location card solved a bunch of tech issues after that because it was like the concept was much well communicated at that point. So a bunch of things that people were thinking there were bugs or problems and were even acting on those, they were not. It's like the concept was not well communicated for, for a long time. So as soon as a small rename in a component communicated so much about that particular piece of technology and solved a bunch of technology issues related to that. So that was like a really interesting, I, I did not expect that to happen, but like the, the amount of problems that, that comes from that part of the code is like so much less now. And I believe a, a big part is like just sitting down and trying to understand, wait, what is actually that we're trying to represent here? What are the concepts here? rename one component and a bunch of problems are solved. This was a really interesting, like hard and soft skills kind of situation. Well, it's funny too, how many conversations I've had with programmers where we're working on the same project and we're arguing, well, this should be this way. And it's no, this should be actually be this way. And then eventually you dig in far enough to where you're going, okay, well, this is this and this and this. And they go, no, it's actually this and this and this. And you figure out, okay, we're talking about two different things or we've made different sets of assumptions about the same thing. And so you boil it down, you clarify that one or two things, right? And, and in this case, it was just adding a word. And it's like, 
oh, okay. So when we talk about it in the future, this is what we mean. And then everything else clears up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, what you said makes sense here. And what I said, you know, kind of gloms on over here on this other thing, because now we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, this is interesting. An interesting thing I think happens a lot in this podcast. Maybe it's because of the format of the podcast, but you need to talk about things, right? You have audio is your tool here. So you need to communicate well. I, I like how we're always like, sometimes we're, the, the subject of uh, one episode is like a really technical subject, like the microstates library, something like that that is very specific and, and quote, like hard tech. Mm -hmm. And we end up like almost talking about philosophy sometimes because that's that, that's where things lead. Like that that's what you're doing when you're building something. You are trying to understand the concepts in your mind. I like that this podcast a lot of times go like to the big the big issues that we face when we're building software, like the big trade-offs and the big decisions we need to make. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like soft skills goes into being a good associate of work and communicating, but it also kind of goes into understanding like how the community works and things like that. Because a lot of times there are things that you can do to position yourself well to get hired that I would kind of label as more like soft skills than technical skills because you can know everything there is to know, but if you don't have an online presence and you don't kind of present yourself well, you're going to be maybe in a position where you're, you're running up against someone that might have slightly less technical skill than you, but they've expressed themselves better online or um, they've networked with the right people and then they end up getting the job uh, or the promotion even over you. I've noticed that you know, there's a lot of things you can do. I think we've talked about this some on some of our um, you know episodes, but you know, going to meetups, becoming familiar, and getting to know people within the community, and kind of making an online presence for yourself is something that the more that I focused on that for my own career, the better things have just gotten for me. And I think I've seen that for other people as well. I'm going to say it, the M word. What is that? Marketing. <laughs> marketing yourself. I mean, really, that's, that's what it right. is. It's the same thing. You know, you, you may not think of it that way, or you may have some idea that marketing is tricking people into doing something that they don't want to or shouldn't do. But marketing in reality is bringing what somebody else wants and what you want into alignment. And if they match up, that's good marketing. And if they don't match up and they decide that that's not what they need, that's also good marketing. And it's, it's the same thing, right? With the blogging, with the open source contributions, with the things that Natter's talking about, right? If somebody looks at all that stuff and they go, yeah, we're looking for somebody a little bit different. You probably wouldn't have been happy there anyway. But putting yourself out there is the only way that they're going to figure that stuff out. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's kind of important to note that all of these skills that we kind of learn in trying to make ourselves like a better developer or, you know, a better engineer, someone, a better leader on the team, these all like fold back into just life in general as well. So the opportunities for marketing, you know, like writing blog posts or, or contributing open source or going to meetups, you know, you're, you're connecting with people, you're like making like real connections, or you're actually practicing active learning, you're, you know, you're doing things that are like important as in the development of like a person. And it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's really exciting that we're in a career that lets us or really promotes us or like encourages us to take these actions, which also, you know, tie back into just life in general. Cause you know, if you can 
start to understand how to communicate better on complex problems, not only does it help you in software, but it helps you in like relationships and things like that. So it's like all these things really tie back into just being kind of more of an effective person. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful every day that I, I get to kind of work on these skills in my day to day to be able to just like, just be a better person in general. Yeah, I agree. That is interesting. Like this, uh, the problems are are very similar. Like if I think about a, a technical architectural solution for a problem, and I believe that is the best solution for the problem, I need to be able to communicate that with my company and have buy-in from people around me. So that's marketing, right? Trying to both like get a validation that what you're trying to sell <laughs> is really like uh, useful and people will understand or maybe you are going to be convinced that you're not. And this is like similar to finding a job. I remember years ago, like I, I sent my curriculum to this company and I, I was certain that like I could really do well there. And it did not uh, work, like I was not hired by, by that company, but it, it's crazy because like in my mind was like, I, I can contribute, like this is, I'm going to be able to be helpful there. Like I'm, I'm going to be able to help this company and, and I think it, I am a good fit, but I couldn't communicate well. So this marketing that, that Natter was talking about and stuff, it's, it's, it's all really similar to like, whenever you have like a good idea, a good solution, you need to be able to communicate that if you don't get buy-in from people around you, it's it's not going to, it's going to be just like composing a song and putting it on your closet. Like you need to play that song. People need to listen to it, right? Yep. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push us back into kind of the more uh, traditional episode 50 stuff. I want to do an episode on this and just talk through it because nice. uh, I, I think we're all kind of agreeing on a lot of things, but a lot of the ideas that are coming up too are, are really, I think, powerful enablers for people to think about things and then go, I can do that. So, but yeah, so going back to episode 50, what's been your favorite episode so far that we've done? Well, for me, this is uh, probably biased because I'm a big React Native fan and I'm also a fan <laughs> of Charlie um, that's the ep that was expo a good with Charlie Cheever episode. That was uh, really, really cool because um, I've always looked up to Charlie and I'm really pumped about what they're doing at Expo to kind of uh, get to talk to him and ask him all the questions that I've been wanting to ask him was, was really nice. Nice. You, have you not had him on uh, React Native Radio? So I think he was either our first guest ever, like 115 episodes or three years ago, or maybe our second guest. So we had him on at the very, very, very beginning of Expo, and um, and we haven't had him on since. I did bump into him at a conference, and I got to speak with him for about five minutes. 
But um, other than that, I haven't really talked to him. But I know a lot of people at Expo and um, and stuff like that there. Gotcha. How about you, Justin? What was your favorite episode? Uh, that's what I've been thinking about. Um, there's been a lot of really interesting ones. I think the episode where we're talking to Alexia and Andy about um, optimizing the uh, React Virtual DOM was an interesting episode. So that was, I think just Lucas and I were there. But that was kind of a a pretty dense topic and it was just kind of the conversation spawned off in some, some interesting directions. But yeah, I think, I think there've been a lot of really interesting episodes. And for me, it's funny, the things that I like the most is kind of when we get off on tangents on things, it's like <laughs> not entirely directly related to the topic at hand, but we go off on a, a tangent and end up talking about um, some other things and it kind of rounds back up to be some interesting things. Lucas, what about you? So, yeah, I have some favorites, but I think my favorite was the WebAmp. It's episode 24, WebAmp with Jordan Eldridge. So the WebAmp project is so interesting, like by itself already. It's like this huge uh, WinAmp clone. It's amazing by itself. And talking to Jordan was really cool. Like he has like a, the story of the project was really interesting. And the fact that he's like an opera singer, it's also really, it was, it was really interesting talking to him. Like we have this similar mm-hmm. music background and stuff like that. So th- that was a, that was a good episode. Are you an opera singer? No, I'm not an opera singer, but I, I, I worked like for more than 10 years as a professional musician before being a software developer. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. We should make you sing anyway. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It's don't not. do that. It's not going to be a good. (laughs) So for me, it's been kind of interesting because I started React Roundup and I I still haven't written much React, to be honest. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of kind of the basic episodes, you know, like advanced component patterns, where we talked with Kent Dodds. I think we had one when we had you on as a guest, uh, Lucas, we talked about some of this stuff too. You know, just getting in and kind of figuring out, okay, you know, what are kind of the basic parts here? What are the, what are the pieces that we're talking about here? And how do they come together has been really, really fun. Another one that I'll just throw out here is I love going to Microsoft Build and Microsoft. It's been Connect, but uh, this last year it was Ignite I went to, you know, and just talking about like Visual Studio Code and some of the tools around it as well has been really, really interesting. And then some of the architectural ones too. So I think we did one on like building in a monorepo or I think we've also talked about just how to arrange your application you know, around GraphQL or around certain ideas there. You know, we talked to uh, Rado Stonkoff about how they do it at Product Hunt. And yeah, there's a lot there that just kind of pulls everything together. I don't know. I mean, I think we've gotten a pretty good mix. You know, we also talked about Lambda School with Ben Nelson. And that's completely not React, but it's also really fascinating about, hey, how do we bring people in and how do we learn? So (laughs) it's hard for me to pick one. I think I picked all of them. (laughs) <laughs> you know but uh yeah just th- there's a lot there so that's great yeah it's crazy like when we started this podcast react was already super popular and and yeah. it's just gotten even more popular and exploded even more over the last year it's kind of crazy like i i kind of thought at the time there's kind of like we were at the peak of react but it's definitely that wasn't the case right mm-hmm. well it's interesting too to see the different communities and I've talked to people who are being bled off of the React community toward Vue. Um, I've talked to a few people who have 
you know, gone to Angular. I've talked to people who have come to React from both of those. And so it's it's definitely interesting to see what the overall ecosystem is on the front end and what people are doing. And it's also interesting to talk to a lot of folks who work at companies who are still using jQuery or Backbone or things like that. And, you know, it's just they have something that works and that, you know, they're they're maintaining their expertise there and then they're looking ahead for other things. And so I, I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, we're not talking about the stuff that they care about, but we're talking about the stuff that they're playing with. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, interesting when you talk about how the communities and ecosystems are growing. We now have three, at least, really, really good options. We have Vue, we have Angular, we have React, and there's large communities in each of them. And some of the people might like transition from one to other. They might try things out. They might get a job that kind of points them in that direction. And then there are people, like you said, that uh, outside of my bubble, it's kind of hard to imagine that there are people writing jQuery, but I actually meet them every day. Oh, yeah. Uh, doing a lot of the different events and stuff that I do. So there's then there's that group of people. But then there's also the explosion uh, just in the software industry and JavaScript ecosystem as far as like jobs and things are concerned and boot camps. So we're getting mm-hmm. all of these new people that are coming into front-end programming that are kind of like getting to jump directly into a mature framework like Vue or, or React which is probably not the case for people that have been in this industry as long as we have or, or more than a couple of years. So it's kind of, it's way like we're in a different place, I think, than we were. Of, well, of course, I think everyone agrees than we were maybe five or 10 years ago. And it's it's interesting to kind of see how people can kind of like be benefiting from all of the work, just like we, we benefited from all of the work that everyone, all these other people have done. Yep. I can talk a little bit about the, the, the scene uh, or the tech scene in New York. I would say like it's, maybe like 70% React and maybe 30% Angular. I still didn't, did not see like job descriptions saying like they use Vue here. Like, like who, is Vue like much smaller than these two or is it like a particular type yes, of market that, that is not presented in New York or something like that? I can talk about this a little bit because I actually used to be an organizer for Vue NYC. Um, I did that oh. for about a year. So Vue is definitely on the uptrend. Um, there's a lot of companies that are starting to pick it up. The last company that I worked at uh, got bought out by Discovery, um, Discovery Communications. And they, um, so they use a little bit of both. So they use React and Vue for things. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies, especially like um, I see a lot of agencies like reaching for things like Vue. Mm. Um, but it's just different groups, I guess. Uh, I think it can be hard to have insight to another community when you're not in that community, right? It's yeah. hard to know like what is in view if you're just like in the React community. Yeah. Um, so I I was uh, friends with a group of organizers who like ran, you know, Angular NYC and, and React, you know, React NYC. And like I could like hop around to different groups and kind of see like the overlaps and like what's there but i can definitely say the the view community is is growing a lot nice that's great yeah the other thing i will add is that it's larger in asian countries than it is here in the u.s Mm. i mean most of the people that i'm talking to are still based here in the u.s there are still plenty of people using view but yeah it's new enough still to where you don't have larger companies that have made large investments in it yet Mm -hmm. the same way companies have invested in 
React over, you know, five or six years or Angular over five or six years. It's a different story. And even if you look in like the Angular community, and it's interesting to me because I talk to all these groups, right? I talk to all the communities in within Angular at the conferences and stuff. They're talking about Angular 7 or 6, I can't remember. <laughs> You know, and in React, they're talking about React, what, 16, 17? What are we on now? Yeah, um, 16. And then, you know, in Vue, they're getting ready to release Vue 2. But the reality is, is that a lot of companies that I'm talking to or a lot of people that I find working in React or Angular, they're still using React 14, 15, 16, right? They haven't made the move up. And it's the same thing with Angular. A lot of folks are still using Angular JS or Angular version 1. And they just haven't made the jump because there's some barrier or they just haven't figured out their tech stack moving along those lines. I mean, Angular, Angular 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, or 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, um, they have all been very different from Angular JS, Angular 1. Yes, yes. And so there's technical debt there with that move. I think React does a little bit better, but their releases have been a little bit more incremental at the same time. Anyway, it's it's just been interesting, too, to talk to people and say, oh, so you're, you know, you're still using the older version, you know, not not in a derogatory way, but just, you know, and it's because you've got your problems solved over there and you can't just wholesale move because you can't afford to not progress in your business. But the other thing is, is that in all of these communities, like you see the like state of JS and some of these other surveys come out and it's, oh, we're using React and oh, we're using Angular. And it's funny because the percentages change and it's like, oh, look, Vue is growing and React is growing and Angular didn't, you know, didn't grow or didn't grow as much or shrank. Well, the reality is, is all of those communities are bigger than they've ever been. We just have more people coming in and the one community is either more vocal <laughs> or is growing faster than the other community. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's another really interesting distinction on a lot of this is that we have a lot more people coming in who are interested in all of these different frameworks. And the reality is, is that there are more boot camps teaching React than there are teaching Angular, and so React's going to go faster. And people switch over, too. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. But the, the other thing that I love, too, is that a lot of these core teams are willing to talk to each other, right? So they're not beating each other up to try and gain yeah. uh, adoption, right? It's, oh, you've got a good idea, and our people could benefit from that, so let's do it. That's exactly it. It's like every, everybody's playing the same game. Only reason to like look to the side and try to learn a little bit was this something that they're doing better, right? Yep, absolutely. But I, I know the people who do the documentation for Vue and for Angular on Angular.io and Vue.js.org, I think, I can't remember. The traffic on both of those sites have steadily risen, right? I don't know anybody who does the React documentation, but I would bet that it's the same thing there. So there are more people doing it and it just depends on who you're talking to as far as how much the community is growing and what that means to that community. That's nice. So I'm kind of curious, what do you all think is coming next with React? I think Justin said something about Hooks Day or something. Yeah, well, so, so Hooks is done, right? What's Hooks next? Hooks is done. Suspense, like really rolling out for, I mean, actually rolling out for like all the data loading and stuff. Yeah, I've been playing around with that for the last couple of months on and off. And I actually spent quite a bit of my day, you know, trying to put together a reusable component that would allow, you know, a better abstraction, I guess, over React Cache with uh, the current version of React Cache and data fetching with Suspense. And it's actually a super nice API. It's really nice to use, but I was unable to figure anything out, an elegant solution, I guess, for 
any type of data architecture. So whether that be working with GraphQL, with Apollo, or working with uh, Redux or any, any type of context, anything like that, I kind of wasn't able to figure anything out that wasn't just completely terrible. And probably it's because I'm not smart enough and someone smarter than me will figure something out. But um, I just feel like uh, it's going to be a tougher abstraction um, for, for state management. But maybe, I don't know, yeah, I've probably spent more time than most of the people on the show messing around with it just because I have um, spent quite a bit. But if anyone else is, has any ideas there, I'd be interested to hear. Maybe if you're listening to this show and you have uh, some ideas, ping me. Maybe one of the other hosts kind of like has some ideas <laughs> around how that might work. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I've been I've been thinking a lot about suspense too. Like we can we can definitely do a whole episode on that. The thing that that, that I'm excited for is the concurrent React. Actually, like if you look at the roadmap, it's probably like the most boring thing because it seems nothing's gonna actually change in terms of code. There's no fancy techniques, but the concurrent rendering part like react be able to pause a little bit rendering to deal with things that are important more important than others this is the thing that that i'm really like hyped to 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 see in action because react is still like a, a large library and the load time is is still complicated and it's difficult to make a real world applications in in real companies that that do not have a lot of JavaScript. It's it's complicated to do those things. So I'm excited to see like our website blocking less user interaction. Like I'm I'm excited to do to see that happening in 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 React. So the concurrent rendering, like if there there's a a big time we server side render, but the user still needs to wait like a couple of seconds to be able to interact with the input on our website. So I think that concurrent React will 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 deal with that better. I'm excited for it. Is that going to be something that people have to like learn about to use, or is that going to just be out of the box, yeah. like uh, so, an implementation detail that we don't have to worry about? Yeah, I think a bunch of the things will be out of the box. Things like the the input typing events probably will be like marked as important out of the box. If the user is inputting something, like you need to see that uh, state being handled. Uh, more urgently than data fetching. So I think that some of the, the things will be out of the box. And and I think they'll have some other things like, it would be like the equivalent of different like set state functions, right? You can have like the set state urgent and the set state not urgent, something like this can wait a little bit to be rendered. And this one should be rendered as soon as I call it. So I think it will be a mix. Most of the, the things I think will be out of the box, but out of the box with a parenthesis, right? It's like you need a lot of the, the life cycles that are, will not work with the concurrent React. Your code needs to be prepared to, to be able to, to get the benefits. I think there's some other things like a little bit further down the roadmap that I'm really looking forward to. So one, um, if you actually look at React 16 roadmap, they, they kind of mention at the bottom of it that they're focusing in 2019 on um, improving server-side rendering. Like suspense for server-side rendering is like the specific thing that they're working on. But just generally seeing a better story about server-side rendering is... Oh, please. Um, yeah, <laughs> please. yeah. It's really kind of <laughs> cool for performance. Before the show, we were talking about like 
there's a lot of issues with server-side performance or, or server-side rendering in general just right now, especially like when it comes to the rehydration. It can be a really tricky thing to get right. So definitely looking forward to that. But projecting out a little bit further, these things, like even with even with suspense, even with better server-side rendering, we still have performance issues in that, like Lucas was saying, React is not a small library. You know, so I, I saw a thing... I think it was yesterday where Chrome is announcing, or like the Chrome team is experimenting with, um, or somebody is experimenting with uh, a prototype in Chromium for this like fast mode or no slow mode or something like that. And and it applies some arbitrary limits to resources. Like you can't have a single JavaScript file over uh, 50 megabytes gzipped, like, which is incredibly small based on like all the other payloads that we're using. Um, so until we can get like a smaller library, it's going to be really hard to do that. Um, and the React team has been playing around with Prepack, or not just the React team, I guess Facebook in general. So Prepack is is a tool that executes your JavaScript um, kind of at build time to optimize away any like expensive startup costs. So like, let's say somewhere in like one of your JavaScript files, you had like an array of like strings and you're like mapping them and like doing stuff with them. And then ultimately you're just using that value. The only reason you had that code there is just like make it easier to think about, but that's like startup cost. So like prepack will just like take all of that away. That and like just generally compiler improvements as like, as the JavaScript world starts leaning more and more on like compilers to optimize things, of smartphone-based, you know, whatever other sorts of optimizations, like advanced optimizations we can get out of the box. Yeah, I like that too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt before. I don't really have anything to add, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Good deal. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. I'm always uh, looking around, around in terms of like different languages that compile to JavaScript to see how they're dealing with with the current issues. This is one, this is an interesting one. I think uh, it was, it's ClojureScript that they, they compile to, to JavaScript, but they compile with like Google Closure compiler compatible code. And then you can run the Google Closure compiler optim, optimizer to, to, to your code that does exactly like what Prepack does. Like they, if, if a function is called like, for instance, if the same function is being called all the time with the same like first parameter set to, to a value. They just like hard coded to in the com- in compile time to the function, things like that. So and reason, reason ML also does does that a lot with their own compiler. So this is something that they, they can help a lot in that this regard. I'm I'm excited to see that. Reason React is something that I'm always looking at because it seems that these communities are are more like on we could say like they're more like on the edge of where the the tech is, and they are and they're always like such like good ideas there and good practice. And a lot of times we see those like leaking into the JavaScript world. So I'm always keeping an eye on them too. Yeah, we need to get somebody on for Reason ML as well. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a couple of uh, a couple of blog posts on that, like trying to 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 learn it and like learning in public, right? And it it's really interesting. All the other languages are like okay, so we have this language that that, that we really like, like Closure or like F Sharp, 
and and we want to to also be able to to write front end code so let's do it and reason is doing like a different uh, they're doing different approach they're like you already like a javascript uh, developer like let me show you something that you may like that that is different so they even like it's based on no camel so they even change the syntax to be like friendly to javascript it's a different commitment you have to 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 make to to start using reason and and it's interesting and a lot of the the, the first like developers in react like george uh walkie that if i'm not mistaken is like the could be called the inventor of react he is he's mm -hmm. there working on reason react now so so that's interesting yeah, he's definitely working on reason at this point, which is, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Okay, I'm going to ask one more question, and then we will go to picks. And this question, this is one that came up on, I think it was the JavaScript Jabber one, and I just found it fascinating look into, you know, our co-hosts and, and, and guests. And Anyway, so the question was, what do you do to unwind or to decompress when you're, you know, when you're not at work, when you're not you know, working on something where you have to have that focus, you know, what do you do to decompress? Uh, Natter, go ahead and let us know. Yeah, sure. I'll start this off. Uh, for me, I like to exercise. So I like to work out. I also like to cook and um, eat food. So I'll either be cooking something at home after I get off or, um, you know, going out to eat with my wife um, and sometimes my kids. And then, um, and then on the weekends, I actually like to, to crack open just a typical paperback book and, and read some good nonfiction. And um, that's about it. I actually really enjoy programming. So a lot of times to unwind from my day job of programming, I'll actually do personal projects and programming. And that's actually kind of relaxing for me. Nice. What about you, Justin? Um, so it, it kind of varies. Um, it really depends on my my mood and how much energy i have and stuff like that so like nader i i kind of my mind is always sort of working and sometimes it's really hard for me to just disconnect completely so i tend to lean on open source stuff a lot to just kind of get out some of this energy so i've been working on a few projects recently just to you know kind of occupy that mental space sometimes I've found some like hacks for myself. So like if I, if my mind is racing too much and I can't like shut down, if I'm listening to music or like an audiobook or something, I can't listen to audio that has like voice in it and think at the same time. Um, it completely like, I don't know, derails any train of thought that I have. So um, I like to kind of walk around the city and just like listen to audiobooks and things. That's a good relaxing thing. And, and lastly, kind of going on what Nader said, but I'm not, I'm not actually a cook. I don't really enjoy cooking that much, but I do love to eat. And thankfully I live in New York city and New York city has yes. a ton of places to eat if you have the money for it. So <laughs> I like to go out and spend way too much money on very delicious food. And that's, that's always a, a nice thing. And you know, sleep is nice too. That's, that's, that's a plus. Nice. Lucas, how about you? Yeah, this is an interesting issue because this shifted in my life pretty recently. So as, as I said earlier, like I was a, a professional musician, right, for like more than 10 years. So uh, my life was much more like on the night side of things. Mm -hmm. So unwinding for me was like meeting friends and like grabbing a beer or something like that. And nowadays I'm, I'm like on the opposite spectrum on that. Like I'm, if, I, if I need to recharge my batteries, it's through like exercise, 
through like eating healthy meditation. So, and it's really like doing things for your physical health. It's really like the more you do it, the more you understand that you are actually like recharging your batteries. So this is something I like, like if I, after like a, a tough day, like if I have like this really difficult days that I'm, that like my mind, what I do, I, I, I go sleep earlier so I can wake up earlier the next day and like go to gym and something like that. So it's, it's interesting. Like I never thought I, I would say that <laughs> and do that before. Like, but that, that's it. Focus on, on your physical health. Yeah, it makes sense. So for me, it, it's funny because you mentioned working out and, uh, you know, with some of the health stuff that I've been going through, you know, I was going and I was running a few miles every day or every other day, depending on what my running coach told me to do. And, uh, you know, I haven't been able to do that for a couple of months and it's, it's really affected me. You know, I go walk, I can, I can go walk for 45 minutes, but it's just not the same. And, uh, you know, as when you push it, I guess. So anyway, that, that's one of my things though, is just, you know, and usually just to change the scenery. Like sometimes if I, if I need to just get a little bit more work done and focus and I'm having trouble doing that in my office, I'll just, you know, head over to Denny's or something and use their Wi-Fi. As far as unwinding goes, I listen to podcasts. Big shock there, right? Um, <laughs> you know, we, we produce plenty of them here. We're picking up production on another one for uh, Thinkster, which is uh, Joe Eames. Just took over as CEO over there. Yeah, I saw that. That's really cool. I've been following Joe ever since I started listening to your podcast. Yeah, so they, they just recorded their first episode. So we're getting that together. And my team is going to produce it for them. I'm really looking forward to that. And so I'll probably just tell everybody about it when it comes out. But yeah, so listening to podcasts, I also listen to audiobooks. So recently I listened to the latest Brandon Sanderson book. I wish the guy would like work on the series, the other series that I've been listening to instead of giving me more series to wish he had the next book out on. But uh, I can't complain too much because uh, Skyward was awesome. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do a lot of that. I have a game on my phone that I've been addicted to for a while and it's called uh, Disney Heroes Battle Mode. And so sometimes I'll just sit and play on that. There are a couple of different ways to play it, I guess, or missions that you can do that, you know, will take you 20 minutes. And so sometimes that's nice just to unwind that way. And sometimes, and this is going to sound really weird, and then I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of people saying, that's not weird. I do that too. But sometimes if I need to unwind and I need to feel like I'm getting work done, I'll actually just work on cleaning my office. I've rearranged it twice, which means things just got piled up and then they got piled up in a different place and then piled up in a different place again. And so I've been kind of working my way through all this stuff. And uh, yeah, that, that's been interesting as well. Or I'll go write, sometimes I'll write fiction. Nobody has read my fiction. Or I'll go work on my uh, how to get a job book. And, you know, I'm hoping I actually have the second draft of, draft of that done this week. So anyway, but, but that's also, it's work, but it's relaxing as opposed to, you know, whatever. And then just talking to people. I find that, re I find it draining and relaxing at the same time, but like going to conferences and stuff and the travel. That's fun for me, but it's draining in other ways. So this episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them 
And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right, well, here's to 50 more episodes. Let's do some picks. Justin, do you have some picks for us? Sure. Um, so I find myself recently f- focusing more and more on design. So design is a concept that it's really challenging for me, but um, I think is also really rewarding. And I, I kind of want to get to that point where I'm like the Renaissance engineer, right? So I want to be able to build a product from start to finish myself. It's a very, very challenging thing to do, and it takes a lot of diverse skill sets. So i got a few design-related picks that I think are kind of fun. So when I found a open source font today, um, it's called Enter, which is kind of interesting. So it's kind of designed to be very legible for like small to medium sized text. And if you have like studied like topographies at all, like picking the right font size for a small or the right font family for a small font can be very, very difficult for like legibility, contrast, accessibility kind of issues. So really important to get right. And this font actually looks very beautiful and it's open source, which is awesome. Font foundries often tend to be very expensive if you're like purchasing a font. So finding an open source font is is pretty great. The other thing is, so there was this random design game that was jumping around Twitter that I uh, saw. It's called Can't Unsee. So it just like tests your design eye. So there's like, these uh, challenges where you just like they have two images and there's a little bit of a design variation between the two and like one's like slightly off. So like the contrast will be off or the, the spacing will be off or, you know, these like little tiny design things. I think it's really uh, an interesting game and I kind of recommend people like share it with uh, friends and colleagues, especially engineers. So one of the things I'm pretty passionate about is just like building empathy between designers and engineers um, because often there can be like an artificial wall to say, you know, that's not my job and that's not my responsibility and I don't need to learn that. Um, When I think if an engineer learns more about design, then, you know, we can bridge gaps and like come to an understanding about what we're trying to build instead of just like, you know, pumping out this stuff that we have no idea why it is the way that it is. So, yeah, I'm just going to keep it to those two. Nice. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks? So my pick is a 2002 blog post from Joel Spolsky called The Law of Leaky Abstractions. I am writing a blog post now on the same subject, and it's it's a classic. So this is one of those interesting, like, software building realizations you, you need to make. Like, abstractions are great. They help you a great deal, but they're all leaky. There's no perfect abstraction at some point. In your, in your life, anything that is like for enough time in production will leak and you need to know how that thing works under the hood. So this is, uh, yeah, this is uh, really important to know and to be careful whenever you choose something. So yeah, a library or, or a language or anything, framework, 
So very useful blog posts, small, illuminating, the way I like it. <laughs> nice. Natter, what are your picks? So last week we had the internal React Native Amazon conference at Amazon, and I was kind of one of the organizers there. And we had some of the team from Facebook there, and they were really um, kind to have come on site for a couple of days and presented some stuff. But after hanging out with them for a couple of days, I'm really, really excited and pumped about the future of React Native. They have some really, really cool stuff going on that they're working on. Um, we're going to see a lot of improvements over the next uh, few months in the framework. They brought some really great people into the team as well. So I'm just really hyped for the momentum that's kind of going on there. So that's one of my picks. And um, my other pick is the Open GraphQL newsletter. We just launched that this week. So it's uh, basically a newsletter that's for GraphQL, people that are interested in GraphQL. That's managed right now by me, Vladimir Novik, and Carlos Rufo. But it's actually going to be merged into the GraphQL Foundation um, once they've gotten that all set up. And it's going to be kind of like a unbiased newsletter for anything GraphQL, because right now, certain of the other different things that are out there for GraphQL are managed by companies that are like maybe expressing their own interest in some of the things that they publish. This is going to be completely managed by the GraphQL Foundation, and uh, it's going to be completely, um, you know, free of any bias. And we're really excited about it. So if you're interested in GraphQL stuff, check out the Open GraphQL Medium publication, and there we have a post called um, Announcing the Open GraphQL Newsletter, but you can also go to opengraphql.io to, to sign up. Nice. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. And basically, these are podcasting picks. So as I mentioned, you know, we're, we've been working through things with Joe Eames and Thinkster on um, podcasting. And I get asked about podcasts pretty frequently to the point where my next project, after I finish the book and course on how to find a job that you'll love, because it's not just how to find a job, it's how to find a job you'll love. I'm going to do a book and a course on how to do podcasting just because I get asked about it a lot. Now, a few of the things that I'm going to pick are just kind of standard ways of doing specific things. So one of them is hosting your files. Now, I have a sponsorship deal with Cashfly, so they host my files. Um, I'm not going to go into the details because they asked me not to, but uh, it makes it worth it for me to use Cashfly. When people are starting a new podcast, I usually recommend that they go with Libsyn. Uh, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And the reason is, is because you pay for what you upload in a month instead of what is downloaded in a month. So if your podcast all of a sudden gets super popular, you don't pay any extra for that extra traffic. And, and I really, really dig them. I've gotten to know, of course, I forgot his name. I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. But, uh, you know, I know their main um, advocate over there that goes to all the conferences and talks to people. And he's terrific. And their whole crew is terrific. They'll also track all your download numbers and everything else for you. Uh, do not host your your RSS feed with them, though. And you don't want to put your website on there either because it makes it hard to move off if you decide that you're going to move to something else. So keep that in mind. As far as hosting goes, um, I mean, I just recommend people do DigitalOcean and WordPress. If you don't want to manage or set up your own server, then just go with like a WordPress.com. And, and I'm pretty happy with them. But those are some recommendations I have. If you need a podcast artwork done, you'll have to just reach out to me and I can introduce you to the guy that has done all of mine. And uh, as far as microphones go, what I typically recommend, and I, I have a link to uh, a microphone that I like, but just get like a 50 or $60 microphone. They sound great, but they're not so expensive that if you figure out that podcasting really isn't your gig, 
that you've spent so much money on it that you wish you hadn't. So my mic is the RE20 from Electrovoice, and it costs a lot more than $60, but I use it all the time. So in your case, I really like a lot of the microphones from Audio-Technica. And so the ATR2100 does both XLR and USB. And so you can hook it up to anything. And I, I really like it. It sounds good. And so that's what I recommend for that. So I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. But that should be enough to get you started. And uh, then you can kind of roll ahead from there. All right, guys. Well, congrats on 50 episodes. Nice. Yeah, looking forward to getting 50 more of them in there. (laughs) Sounds good. You can tell how excited we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. No, it's pretty cool. Like 50, you know, that's actually a good milestone. Most uh, most podcasts, or not most, but I've I've definitely tuned into podcasts that kind of fall off after a couple episodes. So the consistency all around has been good. Not for me, but from everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much, Charles. You're like the host and making everything possible. That's great. Great milestone. Yeah, well, and I... You know, Natter mentioned that a lot of the podcasts fall off after usually what I see is between six and about 12 or 13 is where they fall off. I've tried to make it easy enough for you guys so that you can just have information so that you can prep for the episodes and then just show up and record. And I'm doing everything I can to make that easier and easier and then make sure that these episodes are out there everywhere where people need them so that they can learn how to make their lives better. So amazing. (laughs) Thank you. All right, folks, we'll wrap up and we'll catch you all next week. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.